Nice to be here with you this morning. I enjoyed the classroom time. I, first time I've taught a class here at New Brunswick Bible Institute. I've done a lot of chapels, but I really did enjoy getting to know some of you a little bit beforehand. And, uh, of course, the subject was how do you lead children to the Lord Jesus Christ? And, uh, now it's not a how-to so much as what does God say concerning kids and concerning reaching this next generation and how important is it to do so. I, I live in a state, I live in the state of Maine, across the border, and uh, it's maybe, I don't know this, the way they do surveys and all of that, but it may, may very well be the darkest state spiritually in the nation, of our nation anyways, over across the border. I doubt if it's a whole lot more so than right over here, though. I don't think that boundary line changes things a whole lot. Uh, let, let me just show you a couple of things. I, um, these are from various years, but makes a history a little bit, a little bit of a history. Uh, this one was done in uh, oh, 2006. Church attendance lowest in New England, highest in the South. New Hampshire and Vermont have the lowest reported church attendance in the nation. Maine was third lowest back then. And then uh, this one was done a couple of years later. The top ten states as far as going to church, attending weekly or almost every week. And then the bottom 11 states, and again it's Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. And it says here, in this one, uh, this is by Barna, that every Sunday there are pro- probably 27 out of 100 people that attend church regularly in the state of Maine. That means 83 out of those 27 don't. And then when you start, stop to consider all of the different kinds of churches that there are in Maine and how many of those preach the gospel, there's a uh, website that I look at once in a while that speaks of church attendance in Maine. And according to those folks, anyways, there's about 3.9% that attend an evangelical church in the state of Maine. That's, uh, that's maybe four out of a hundred. Four out of a hundred in Maine that would attend a Bible-believing church on a regular basis. Four out of a hundred. And then uh, this is the... This is the most recent one, this this year. Maine has fewer residents who claim a religious affiliation than any other state in the Union. And so I know that I live in a, I live in a dark place. And it, uh, it didn't used to be that way. When you read the history of the evangelical church, the Bible-believing church in New England or in the United States, there were great revivals in New England. I mean, New England was a place where, where the faith was vibrant and where people heard the gospel and folks wanted to live for Christ years and years and years ago. And somebody might ask, well, what happened? How come, how come it's changed so? And I think there's probably a lot of things that go into it. But in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, but I'm going to try to back it up with some scripture, though. In my opinion... One of the big reasons is that we fail to reach the kids. We fail to reach the kids. And I say that I'm going to back that up in Scripture. We're going to look at the book of Deuteronomy this morning, and we're going to find that that Israelite nation 
as they gathered together on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Moses had a few final words, quite a few final words to give to them. He preached a number of sermons. You could probably find about five sermons there in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses preached to those Israelites before they crossed over into the promised land. And he gave them blessings and he gave them cursings. They might be blessed in that land and they might be cursed in that land. And when you read the book of Deuteronomy, you will find that much of his instruction has to do with teaching the next generation. And so turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we'll see this just as plain as can be. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 8. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? I mean, they had some kind of privileges. They truly did. Some kind of responsibility, but really some tremendous privilege and blessing. No no other nation like this. Well, we could have said that in New England a hundred years ago, a hundred and fifty years ago. What, what place has such churches as this? And then only take heed to yourself. There's the first instruction. You're crossing into this land and you're a great nation and you've got great privileges, but only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself. They had a responsibility, those Israelites, to live for their Lord, to live for their God, to diligently, diligence, Proverbs says, is man's precious possession. They had a responsibility to diligently live for their God, to diligently follow his word and obey his commands with their whole heart lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. They they saw God at work. And they needed to remember what they had seen. And they needed to pass that along to the generation to come. As a dad and a grandfather, I need to keep myself diligently. And then I need to pass along what I have seen God do. We have a heritage in our family. I came to know the Lord Jesus at 22 years old as a young dad. I shared my testimony with a freshman class this morning. I have a heritage to share, to pass along to my children. But they had to see me diligently keep that, didn't they? Because if I don't practice what I preach, then kids are leaving. My kids are leaving. Did, did you, not only are we living in a dark day where we're not even reaching the next generation, but statistics also tell us that more young people, by percentage, are leaving the church today when they're 18 and 19 years old than have ever left in the, in, in the course of our history. More young people are leaving today than ever. Why is that? How is it that you can be brought up in church, brought up in a Christian home, and get to 19 years old and head off to university or to a job or to the military or whatever it might be and say, I'm no longer living for the Lord. But it's happening in 
greater numbers than ever before. And then you just couple that, couple that, this exodus of young people, couple that with the fact that where are the kids in Sunday school? Where are they? I don't know if Mr. Hogue is, Mr. Doherty are old enough to remember when we were young in the 70s and Mr. McMahon is, I know, Mr. Little there, he was in Sunday school back then, but you know. I mean, back then, the, the Sunday schools were filled up with kids. Parents, parents had this idea way back then. They had this idea that even if I don't go to church, I need to make sure my kids are in Sunday school someplace. That was just, that was just the way that folks lived. They don't live that way any longer. They don't think that way any longer. And so you take that, that fact, and then the fact that our young people are leaving in greater numbers than ever before, and pretty soon you come and you say, well, who's left? And what's happening to our churches? We've forgotten the things that our eyes have seen. Unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, how good God has been. How gracious God has been. I wanted my kids to understand that. I want my grandkids to understand that. That God is good and God has worked in our lives and through our family. Diligently keep yourself. And don't forget what your eyes have seen. The work of God in your life. I I, I hear it all the time. We were... There's a young lady that, that was in our ministry there, attended college here, and we thought about her the other day. She's only in her 20s, maybe 26, 27, somewhere in there. And I wondered if she might be interested in coming to camp for a week or so this summer. And somebody said, oh, she's not walking with the Lord anymore. She's met a boy and a young man, and he doesn't know the Lord. And so he's, I mean, how does that happen? How does that happen? But it does happen, doesn't it? All too often. And if you think it can't happen to you, you better think again. Don't forget. Don't forget what God has done in your heart and how you've seen Him work. And then diligently keep yourself lest you forget. I think that's why The writer of Proverbs said, diligence is man's precious possession. If I do not diligently keep myself. And you say, well, I'm a Bible college student. That couldn't happen to me. It happened to her. And if I just thought for two or three minutes, I could make a list of them that has happened to. And then he says, teach them to your children. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Teach them these things your eyes have seen and you've heard and the work of God in your life. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their 
children. It's a primary responsibility to pass the truth on to the next generation. And turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, verse 4. Hear, O Israel. If you were an Israelite, this might be the most prominent passage of Scripture that you were taught. Right here. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. What we're hearing here is the the one God in the midst of nations that were idolatrous. There is one true and living God, and he's the God of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That wonderful truth that they needed to know and be a witness of to those nations. And then the first commandment right here. That's what the Lord Jesus said anyways. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently. There is that word again. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, so that they're reminded of God's word all day long, and that they can teach their children all day long. When you lie down, when you rise up, It's one of the reasons that I so enjoy camp ministry. We do summer camps and we do winter camps. How many of you have participated in a camp ministry? Just raise your hand if you have. Oh my, you know, don't you? What do you do in the morning at camp? What do you have with those kids at camp in the morning? Morning what? Devotions. Yeah, I hope so anyways. Go to another camp if you don't. Find one that does or go back to your camp and say, we need to have morning devotions with our kids. When you rise up into the Word of God with kids, and then what do you have at night after everything is all over with and you're settled into your cabins and, oh my, what do you have at night before they go to bed? Devotions, evening devotions. I have to be honest with you, though, I have in camping ministry for a long, long time. And uh, you, uh, just before devotions begin, you walk over by the boys' cabins and it doesn't sound like they're prepare, preparing their heart real well for devotions always, those little fellas running every place. I'm sure it's the same way on the girls' side. But nonetheless, that counselor gets them inside that cabin. He gets them quieted down to a degree anyways, hopefully, and you end your day with cabin devotions. When you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you sit at your tables in your living rooms, in your cabins, in the dining hall, your homes, teach them God's word. I mean, what's, what's the message here? What's the lesson? When is a parent to teach the word of God to their kids? What time of day? All the time, Ben. Yeah, all the time. From beginning until end. In other words, we're living this out before our kids. 
We're talking to our kids continually concerning the Word of God and the work of God in our lives. It's crucial. When I went into the pastorate back in 1977, I went to pastor the Washington Street Baptist Church in Eastport, Maine. I was a young Christian. I didn't know a whole lot about anything. I was a young dad. I had two kids at the time. And I heard this rumor. The rumor that I heard. Mr. Little was brought up in a pastor's home. Is that correct? The rumor that I heard, Mr. Little, I don't know how true it is, but the rumor that I heard concerning the pastor's kids... The worst kids in the church belong to the pastor, oftentimes. I mean, as a young dad, I, I, I was afraid. How can that be? Is there mold on the parsonage walls that somehow infects my kids? Is it the deacon's kids that somehow infect my kids? What will it be? My wife and I really didn't know what we were doing, but I, but I knew this. I knew this, that I had to diligently keep myself, that I had to diligently keep myself and teach my kids the Word of God, and that I had to do it with a reality. I couldn't be one thing and say something else. And I learned that in teaching kids, you know, in teaching kids, or even for those of you that are thinking about being dads one day, even in being a dad, your kids sure don't expect perfection from you. But my, what do kids need from us? What do they expect and what should they get? A consistent life of living for the Lord, of walking with the Lord. Not a perfect life by any means. Back when I was pastoring there in Eastport, that was a day when we were really interested in bringing kids in. And we had Sunday school contests to bring those kids in. And in one of those contests we had was between, uh, I've had a number of them, but but one was between myself and the uh, Sunday school superintendent. I won't tell you his name, just in case. He's still a good friend after all, after all those years. But uh, he, uh, th- this was the contest. You know, it lasted for six weeks, and every week, whoever was ahead—I don't know again if maybe Mr. Hogue or Mr. Darty remembers that far back these kind of contests. But whoever was ahead in that particular week, you got to cut off part of the tie of the other one. And so, you know, I—and uh, I am a competitive person. And also, Caleb knows I'm not only a competitive person, but I'm one of those trash talkers. I just get going, you know, and get going. And, and, and it's sometimes I don't know when to stop. And uh, I didn't know when to stop with that Sunday school superintendent. I, I did not. And he was a competitive person also. And so I was cutting his time more than he was cutting mine. And I was letting him know I was doing it. <laughs> And here we are. I mean, he's not only the Sunday school superintendent, but he's also the song leader in the church. Worship leaders, we call them in this new day and age. But he was the song leader in the church. 
And here we are between church and Sunday school. And I mean to tell you, he had just, he'd had enough of my talk, Caleb. And he let me know in no uncertain terms that he had enough of my talk. And I let him know in no uncertain terms that that was too bad. <laughs> he was going to get some more of it. And oh my, you'll forgive me. I, you, I know I was 26 years old and young. And we went at it there in the front of the church like that with people coming in. And he stormed out on me and went home. <laughs> and I'm standing there in the church. I'm the pastor of the church. What in the world will I do? You know, I grabbed a hold of a man named Fred Boone who was an older man in the church and a deacon. And I said, Fred, please, you'll have to take the service this morning. I've got to go. I've got to go get my friend here. Calvin is his first name. I've got to go get Calvin. And he said, yes, you do. And so I, I went and I knocked on his door. I could see him sitting in the living room, but he wouldn't answer the door. <laughs> I'm knocking. <laughs> I wasn't going to go away, though. So finally he opened the door and he let me come in. And uh, I sat with him and I said, Calvin, I'm sorry. And I said, I didn't act very nice and I'm, I'm sorry. And he said, I'm sorry, too. We prayed together and then Calvin said, what should we do? And I said, well, Calvin, we have to go back to church and tell those people we're sorry. That's what we have to do. And so we got back, and Fred was up there leading that service. We were about 20 minutes late by then. Calvin just lived around the corner or so. So we came into the church and went up there, and uh, I stood up and said, I apologize to you this morning for the way that I conducted myself. And I think Calvin would like to say a few words too, and Calvin apologized. And then he went about leading the song service, and I preached my message that day. And folks forgave me. You, you know what I'm, 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 a long story with a little humor in it, just to say that, you know, nobody's looking for perfection. Nobody's looking for perfection. People are looking for consistency. They're looking for honesty. When you do something wrong, kids are the same way. When you do something wrong, what do you say? You say you're sorry. You stand up there and say you're sorry. You tell God you're sorry. If we confess our sins, he's What? It's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, then we're what? Yeah, we're, we're liars. And the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But right in the middle of those verses is that wonderful verse, if we confess our sins. I mean, um, kids... The Israelites missed all of that. Somehow they missed it. That they had to diligently keep themselves. Not perfectly, but diligently. And walk with the Lord. And when they did wrong, let the Lord know, acknowledge that sin before Him. And when we do wrong, acknowledge that sin before our kids and before our teenagers. And maybe we wouldn't have this great exodus leaving if they just saw that we're sinners saved by grace. And we're striving to live for the Lord. And when we make a mistake, we're not afraid to say so. And we teach our kids that same thing. And Deuteronomy 11 is the same thing. You, you find it over and over again. Look in Deuteronomy 11, verse 1. 
verse 19. You shall teach them to your children. Speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Teach your kids. I mean, somebody said to me the other day, when God says something once, we ought to pay attention to it. When he says it twice, oh my. But three times, we just read it three times, almost word for word, the same thing. Diligently teach your children. And so, I have kids children and I have seven grandchildren. I'm thankful to see my my grandkids. They go all the way from 17 to 3. I'm thankful that those that are old enough have made decisions. They're living for Christ. They're learning. I want them to see a grandfather who's living for Christ and growing. And when he does wrong, not afraid to say so. I want them to see parents like that. But then I begin to get thinking about this, you know, That's fine for my kids. That is fine for my kids. And I've talked to you mostly this morning about our kids. The kids in our homes, the kids in our churches, and our responsibility towards them. The kids that come to our camps and our responsibility towards them. My kids, that's great. I'm glad my kids are safe. My grandkids are safe. But what about the rest of the kids? What about the rest of the kids? They need to hear too. And I live in a dark state. We live in a dark world where the majority of children are not hearing the gospel preached, where the majority of kids know nothing of who our God is, of what the Word of God is, of what the gospel is, of who the Lord Jesus is and what He did for them, and how He loves them and gave Himself on the cross for them. They don't know. And you don't, have to, uh, you don't have to hear me talk to you about kids to know that this is a rough world for kids. We, we have a... Tomorrow when I pick this up, I think it's 20 after that we're done here, but tomorrow when I pick this up, we're going to look at a, a verse there in the Old Testament that speaks about knowing how to conduct warfare. And, and one of the things that the Israelites, it's quite amazing. Well, just, just for fun, we've got a moment. We'll go there right now. It's in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 3. And then I'll kind of close with this, and maybe it'll give you a little bit of something to think about before tomorrow morning's chapel. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so. This is why God left them. This is why God left them. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. That's not a politically correct thing to teach today, but that's what God is saying here, that that these folks that were left, that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formally known it. We, we are in a battle. We are in a great battle today. And if you watch The Hobbit on the movies, any of you go see The Hobbit? 
A few, a few. Some of you are afraid to raise your hand, maybe. Uh -huh, but I, I went to watch it with my family. I, I enjoyed it. That, I enjoyed that whole thing, The Lord of the Rings. I enjoyed all of those movies and the books. I've read the book three times. It's a lot of reading, but I do enjoy that book. It's, that's an epic battle that takes place all throughout there. But that's a make-believe battle. That's a make-believe battle. We are in an epic battle. We are in an epic battle. And there's nothing make-believe about it. Nothing. And the enemy that we face is ruthless and relentless. He never stops. There's not a bit of mercy or grace or love or kindness or compassion in him. He is a liar, a thief, and a destroyer of life. He has been so from the beginning. And his attack today, the majority of his arsenal today is aimed at kids. It is aimed at kids. It only makes sense, doesn't it? It only makes sense. If you can reach the generation of children, oh my, that, that's what Mr. Lenin said early on after the Russian Revolution. Let me teach your children for four years and the seed I have planted in them will never be uprooted. That was a seed of evil. We need to reach this generation of kids and we are in an epic battle to do so. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Father, we look at our land, our lands, and we see that we're in a dark place. We see churches that are closing, churches that are almost empty or halfway so. We don't see Sunday schools filled up with kids anymore. Oh, Father, help us to understand the responsibility that is ours to preach the gospel to every creature, little ones and big ones both, to make disciples of every nation, little ones and big ones both. And Father, help us in our efforts to raise our children and our grandchildren to know you and to love you and to serve you and then to reach out to this world of lost kids before it is too late. Father, work. Work this week in hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.